Being a parent is challenging, frustrating, and can turn you into a curmudgeon. It can cause you to channel your mom or dad, and when you're done, you say the whole, no, being a parent. If you're not a parent, let me explain why that's the case. Kids do not always do what they are told. <laughs> How many of you are, who are not parents have a younger brother or sister? Okay, a number of you. Have you ever had to watch them? Yeah. Did they do everything you told them to do when mom and dad put you in charge? Right. Okay. Go to bed. Brush your teeth. Hey, turn off the TV. Stop hitting your brother. Stop hitting your sister. Ignored. Those things sometimes are simply ignored. Sometimes they're simply flat out refused. And every home has this. It just varies by degree. By the time we had our third child, I developed a new appreciation for Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. For those of you unfamiliar with that passage, that's the passage where God basically says, your sacrifices, what are they to me? I don't care about the temple. I don't care about all the stuff you're bringing to me. Do what I have told you to do. Take care of the orphans. You know, I'm sorry. I'm just channeling that inner dad part of me. I didn't mean to get all Pentecostal on you, you know. But in short, obey, obey. Obedience is better than sacrifice, the prophet Samuel says. It's kind of ironic, right, in America, because there are only three groups of people, or three groups of people came to my mind, who are required to obey. People in the military, obey your commanding officer. Children, basically obey everyone, right? Because if you're a kid, everybody's in charge of you. Teachers, coaches, parents, extra grown-ups, aunts, uncles, older siblings, the neighbor down the street. I mean, you know, <laughs> just go down the list. You're at the bottom of the food chain. Obey, obey. You know, it's a great thing that we love to tell kids. And then the last group are dogs. No buster, no pee on carpet. And why is it we don't use full sentences with dogs? Are we just concerned that they, you know, their language development is delayed? By the way, no one expects cats to obey. You know, cats just follow their inner heart. You know, they just do what they want to do. Um, dogs, we all expect dogs to obey. And when they don't, it's like, you know. Um, Americans no longer include obedience in wedding vows. Obey isn't in wedding vows anymore. Um, it's no longer considered something that makes you a good citizen. For those of you old enough to remember Leave It to Beaver um, and some of the shows from the 1950s, part of being a good citizen in America meant obeying the authorities. You know, you, some of you are looking at me like, no. Yes, I promise, in this country there was a time when people, like it was to be a good American, you just obeyed the authorities. And now what do we do? We question authority. You know, we hold them in contempt. You know, they're corrupt. The funny thing, throughout this book, Throughout the Bible, God calls himself a king. He does. He calls himself a king. And a king in the minds of the ancient Hebrews, who later became the Jews, it meant three things. Lord and king of the world, a mighty warrior, a mighty warrior who was able to destroy his enemies, and a judge over his kingdom. And so the, the latent expectation 
is that when God calls, when God commands, just do what he says. That's kind of like the gist of a large part of what it means to be God's king, or for God to be king. And when God's son comes onto the scene, right, Jesus, meek and mild, the one that we all love to hang from our, you know, our car window fresheners, although some of us have those, okay, but Jesus, meek and mild, Jesus also claimed to be a king. Pilate asked him outright in his trial, are you a king? And Jesus said, it is as you say. Yep, I am a king. It was plastered on his cross, king of the Jews. And so today, I want to hit another one of our values, value, a value that I hold. And so I want to conduct a little review before I, I do that. And so here's where we've been in case you, you know, forget. So first value, first week we talked about get your hands dirty, get your hands dirty. Second week, we talked about don't fake it. Some of you are like, really? Yes, we talked about that. Don't fake it. Last week, we talked about be flexible. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. Today, I want to talk about this next value. Live like Jesus is king. Live like Jesus is king. If you say Jesus is your Lord and Savior, show me. And that sounds rough, doesn't it? But I want to get into this, and I want to let Jesus have a chance to say some things this morning. And I promise you, as a preacher, this is a hard message. Um, and if you're relatively new to generations, take this message in context of what I tend to preach throughout the course of the year. But if Jesus is a king, what does this king require? In the if you read this book cover to cover, like Jesus comes back at the end, and it's said that Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords, and at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord and King. So what does that mean? What does that mean? What does this king require of his subjects, or as he calls them, his disciples? So if you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 25 to 35 today. What does this king require of his subjects or his disciples? Luke 14, verse 25. I'll pick it up right at verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, okay? A large crowd. What Jesus is about to say isn't just for Peter, James, and John. It isn't just for the 12. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. I think that in 2014 America we have what I call a two-tier Christianity. There's Christianity for just about everybody, and then there's the super spiritual track. These are the people that, like, obey Jesus. Think missionaries, you know, maybe some pastors. Um, <laughs> well, not everybody can, right? So, but it's two-tier track, two-track Christianity. And for most of us, we're kind of on the bottom track, and we try, but it's hard, and we struggle and everything else. But on the top track, those are the super spiritual ones. And they read their Bible and they pray and they do all this stuff. And we've kinda, we kind of have that as an understanding of how things work. But Jesus, in what he's about to say, he doesn't, he doesn't address it in terms of two tracks. He addresses what he's about to say next to everybody. And the other thing about this is a large crowd was following Jesus. And we're going to get into what he says, but there's something about the fact that there's a large crowd that seemed to concern Jesus. In other words, in looking at this large crowd, there's something in him that goes, ooh, 
I better clarify what following me means. I'm not sure they get that, which is the total opposite of the way we pastors tend to run in America. We pastors, we like to think that if there's a large crowd, that means we've done something right. If there are a lot of people that follow us on Twitter or buy our books, clearly we have got something figured out. We're preaching the word. After all, there's a large crowd. But Jesus looks at the crowd, and he is suspicious. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. I'm not sure you understand what's going on here, gang. So I, I want to explain things to you. And so let's pick it up in verse 26. Verse 26. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Can we just acknowledge that's hard, isn't it? Right? This is not your best life now. This is not, you know, blessings to you. This is not, you know, Jesus opening doors and expanding your kingdom. This is, if you want to follow me, and the word used here is misio, which means to hate, to abhor, to detest. And the New Living Translation gets it right. It's in comparison. So you must hate everyone else by comparison. What Jesus is saying is, okay, I know you love your wife. I know you love your husband. I know you love your kids. But you need to love me more. You need to love me more, quantitatively more. I must be first and foremost. Nothing else can even come close to me. That's a pretty... It's a pretty rough, you know, bar there. And part of this is that Jesus knows you're going to face relational pressure. You're going to face relational pressure from those that you love to quit on Jesus, to soften your commitment to Jesus. It's going to happen. It's coming you have to go to church all the time. What do you read that Bible? What do you, you know, what is God stuff? It's going to happen. My sophomore year at Wheaton College, I felt like, I'd started out a music major, and I felt throughout the year that God was speaking to me and that I needed to change my major to a Bible major. And my grandfather, who was an independently wealthy man, had, had given me $6,000 the first year toward tuition, and he was going to do the same every year. And when he found out that I was, had, was going to change my major, you know, he called me on the phone, and I'll never forget that conversation. Max Vanderpool, what are you doing? Well, I, you know, Grandpa John, I just, you know, no, 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 let me tell you something. You are the one person in this family who's got smarts, and I'm not going to see you throw your life away by majoring in something like the Bible. So let me tell you how this is going to play out. If you change your major, the money from me stops. And it did. I'm telling you, people you love, people you love, are going to make it hard for you at times to follow Jesus. And when push comes to shove, when push comes to shove, you need to be able to say, look, if the choice is between Jesus and you, you lose. And that's hard. That's hard. I'm telling you, it's hard. Jesus is saying, I want to be first. And this flies in the face of what culturally we have as a value because in America, family is first. And if family has a need, well, it's for family. That trumps everything. And that Jesus would say, no, no, 
by comparison, by comparison, anyone who does not hate his father, mother, brother, sister cannot be my disciple. Let's keep going. Verse 27. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Here's another one, okay? If you don't, you can't be my disciple. If you, if you do not carry your own cross, again, in case you're not aware of this, and let's leave this verse up here, death by crucifixion in the Roman world was a very bad way to die. It was painful it was publicly humiliating. If you were condemned to death by, uh, by crucifixion, you had to carry the crossbeam and you had to carry it to your own place of execution. And on the way, you were scorned, you were spat upon, you were mocked, you were humiliated. It was a very unpleasant thing from start to finish. And Jesus is saying to everyone, if you don't carry, they knew what he meant when he said this. Now, isn't it ironic in our culture how that phrase has, has changed, my cross to bear? Think of the ways we use that. Oh, man, I'm sorry we're 20 minutes late. You know, my wife, she's always got to put on makeup, da 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 you know, it's my cross to bear. Or, or I'm sorry about the way Dave is dressed. I, you know, I've tried to coach him. You know, I've told him, you don't wear, you know, X with X, you know, but it's my cross to bear. Or some of you about your parents and the fact that you're just goofy and nerdy and so embarrassing, it's your cross to bear, right? Our, our language today are, is a language of inconvenience, but, but in this context, bearing your cross is something that means death, all right? So verse, verses 28 and, and 29, let's keep going. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you, or they'd say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. The building he's talking about is a, is a watchtower, which would be a very tall structure and very expensive to build. And so you, you wouldn't want to start that until you knew you had the funds to complete it. I have a honeydew list. Um, one of the things on my honeydew list is to paint the laundry room. That's been on my honeydew list since 2007. <laughs> 2007, those of you who are good at math, that is now seven years ago. I know what it is to have unfinished projects. Some of you know the same thing, right? Okay, and, and so, but in this context, Jesus is, in essence, saying, if you can't see it through, don't start. In other words, be intentional about thinking this thing through, about what it means to follow, th follow me. Be intentional in thinking it through. Let's look at verses 31 and 32. He gives a second example of this same principle he's trying to make, or the same claim he's trying to make. Verse 31. Or what king would go to war against another king without sit, first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. You want to negotiate peace with God? If you go on your own, you lose. If you go with your terms, you lose. But if you take the Lord's terms, 
you survive. You live to fight another day, so to speak. Um, don't march toward a battle you know you're going to lose. Um, he's wanting the crowd to consider what it means to follow him. And I want to suggest something very harsh to you today. I know this isn't said much in the church, but Jesus will take everything you have and more. He will. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. This is hard, but it's true. And I think the church in America so needs to embrace this again because so many of our brothers and sisters all around the world know this, live this, own this which is why Christianity is so vibrant in so many other places other than here. I can tell you this as a church planner. When, when I started Generations Community Church, I had mapped out how long it would take me to get a full-time salary, how long it would take the church to get to a certain size. I had everything mapped out, slam dunk done, figured out. I can tell you 10 years later, it has cost me far more than I bargained, far more than I reckoned. Our college savings plan was we would have a full second income to throw toward college. It's not panned out that way. Again, Jesus will take everything you have and then some if you, if you have allegiance to him. Um, let's look at verse 33, and he, he really nails this home in that verse. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Peter, James, and John, they left their nets. Levi left his tax booth. Zacchaeus gave up half of his money to the poor and then repaid everyone he had schnookered out of money four times the amount he schnookered them. But the rich young man who came to Jesus, he gave up nothing. And he walked away. You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. It's going to come in the form of money, houses, dreams, things that are important to you. I'm telling you, this is part of following Jesus. Um, let's look at the last, last verse here, verse 34. Salt, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? In verse 35, flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. In that part of the ancient world, salt could keep its potency for up to 15 years. And I think the, the practical understanding, the, the obvious understanding of this verse is, hey, if you and I lose our potency for Jesus and his kingdom, he will dispense with us and find something, someone who is potent for his kingdom. Here's the thing. Too many people in America quit. Let's, let's be honest about ourselves as Americans. We've gotten so wimpy. We don't know what it is to sacrifice. We don't know what it is to endure. We don't know what it is to stick in with something. I mean, just look at the state of marriage in our culture, right? I just need to move on. This isn't working out for me. You know, they're not meeting my needs anymore. There's all kinds of reasons. I know there's, I know there's other stuff and big stuff, but in so many different ways and levels, right? We, we quit, we walk away. And there are people who quit reading their Bibles, there are quit, people who quit going to church, there are people who quit serving, they just quit and they end up quitting on Jesus. And so if there's something I wanna draw out for you is that there's no two-tier thing with Jesus. I grew up a Baptist 
my dad grew up a Baptist, and part of what we were told is um, salvation is one thing, making Jesus your Lord is another. And you can go your whole life, and you can be saved, and you can go to heaven, and Jesus will forgive you, and it's okay, and hopefully maybe you'll get to a point in your life where you'll make him Lord, but if you don't, it's okay. I was, I was taught that. My dad was taught that. I remember the video he made for his funeral, and he talked about the fact that he would go out and get drunk and all these other things, and it wasn't until he realized, wait a minute, it's not two things, they're one and the same thing. If I take Jesus, I take him as Savior and Lord, because that's who he is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I can't have him any other way, and he won't be taken any other way. So, let me ask some questions in light of, let's acknowledge a very hard passage, all right? Are you obeying the commands and teachings of Jesus? Am I obeying the commands and teachings of Jesus? I'll just pick two of them. One, the most famous one, love, love, love. Love one another. Love, love till it hurts. Love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Spells it out. Love, love your enemies. Love people who seek to do you harm. Love them. Love not just the people who love you back, who understand how to meet your needs, who make you feel good about yourself. Love the people who don't know how to do those things. Love them. Simple command. Let's take another command. Forgive. Forgive. Not just because the person who needs to be forgiven comes to you and gets on one knee and talks about how they're a worm and please forgive me, I'm so sorry, Max. I will love. You know, let's say they never come to you and they never beg and they never show any kind of remorse. Forgive them anyway. Why? Because I forgave you, Jesus says this in many different passages in the New Testament. Are you and I obeying the commands and teachings of Jesus? Second question do we really mean what we sing when we do that song, Where He Leads, I Will Follow? Do we really mean that? What if he asks us to move and downsize? What if he asks us to give up a promotion or something that would advance us? What if he asks us to, you know, uh, to do something hard? I mean, when he, where he leads, do we always follow? And, and sometimes I think Jesus leading means not attending some activities that take place on a Sunday morning or less time in front of the TV and maybe more time in his word or, or understanding and cultivating a life that's prayer where you're, there's a conversation with him that's going on on a regular basis. Less money on self and more money on him. And then the last question, for those of us that are the church in America, why do we know so much but live so badly? Why do we know so? I mean, it's in 2014, there is more theology, there is more Bible study material, there are more amazing teachers. I can't even come close to the best teachers on a national platform. There is so much good teaching out there all over this country. And yet, right, don't you know people who are so far from God because of how Christians live? Why do we know so much, yet live so badly? Allow me to state the obvious from this passage. If Jesus is saying, follow me, following Jesus means Jesus leads, we follow. 
It's that simple. Jesus leads, we follow. Let me put up a couple of quotes here. One is from George MacDonald. George wrote a number of books in the 1800s. I don't know, he looks like Charles Darwin, doesn't he? George MacDonald said this, Instead of asking yourself whether you believe or not, ask yourself whether you have this day done one thing he said because he said do it, or once abstained because he said do not do it. It is simply absurd to say you believe or even want to believe in him if you do not do anything he tells you. I think, and this is my take, that in America there's like two competing philosophies. One is the Jesus way. It's a way of sacrifice. It's a way of submission. It's a way of humility and patience. The Jesus, in the Jesus way, Jesus is center. His disciples live for him. And in the end, it's not about us, it's about him. There's the consumer way. And it's a world filled of consumption and assertiveness, speed and fame. The Christian version of this is about receiving benefits and getting into heaven. And at the end of the day, it's about my happiness and my personal fulfillment. And they're in stark contrast. If Chuck Colson were alive today, he would call them kingdoms in conflict. Two kingdoms, and, and they're vying for which kingdom is going to have your allegiance and my allegiance. There was a man... Uh, named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote a lot about this. And if we can put that quote up from Bonhoeffer. Um, I mapped this sermon out and this text out in April. And then uh, Josh Lanier had to cajole me three weeks ago, you know, we should read The Cost of Discipleship. And I'm like, Josh, I really don't want to read The Cost of Discipleship. <laughs> I know what happened to him. The Nazis hanged him until dead. Okay, I know. He, I don't want the cost of discipleship. I want to expand my borders and, you know, get blessed. That's what I want. Just being honest. But Dietrich was a man who kind of came of age in 1930s Germany. And he was one of a few people who kind of saw through what was playing out in the German culture. And he said, no, 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 no. The government can't save us. The government can't help us. Only Jesus can save people. Only Jesus can be king. We don't need a Fuhrer to come in and fix everything that's wrong with Germany. We need Jesus to become king of his church and transform Germany. He was blacklisted for <laughs> two days before Hitler was made chancellor. He went on the radio and gave this big teaching about how Germany was wrong to embrace this idea of a special Fuhrer. Well, guess what happened to Bonhoeffer? <laughs> no bueno. This is what he said. Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. I think he's right. I think he's right. It's why Christianity is so weak in the United States. Let's be honest, it's because it's Christianity without Christ. Because if Christ is going to be Christ, then he is king. He is king. 
There are too many people that like him and fans. And don't get me wrong, it's fine to be seeking and exploring and kicking the tires. And if you're here today and you're still making up your mind about who Jesus is, if anything, I would say to you today, he's king. At the end of, the, at the end of everything, he comes back and everyone will acknowledge he's king, either in a positive or negative way. And so I would also argue that his kingdom is worth getting on board with. Look at what his kingdom has done in history. It's given children value. I mean, in the first couple of centuries of the Roman Empire, remember, we've talked about this at Generations, ancient peoples would take unwanted children, children with defects, put them in a clay pot and leave them in the ash heap, the, the, the garbage patch to die of exposure. The only group of people who came around picking through the garbage dump for those babies were slave traders, not because they wanted to do anything for those children, but because they wanted to use those children. But who came in after the teachings of Jesus and adopted them? Christians. Christians came in and did that because they were compelled to love in the way that they saw Jesus' love. Jesus' kingdom is so much better. And I would want to leave you with this statement that he promises. And he makes this promise in Luke chapter 18, literally just four chapters later. Jesus says this in Luke 18, verse 29. I assure you that everyone who's given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will re be repaid many times over in this life and have eternal life in the world to come. I promise you, I've talked about a few things that I've had to sacrifice, and they're small. They really are, because I recognize I'm an American, and I've got first world problems, and what I've had to sacrifice for Jesus is maybe this much. But in all the things I've sacrificed, when I look back at my age today, I don't regret a single thing I've given up for Jesus. And I promise you, you won't either. Not one thing. Please, please. Live like Jesus is king. Can I pray for you and pray for me? And I'm going to invite our musicians to come up. Father, I acknowledge that this is, these are hard teachings from your son, Jesus. And I read them and I want to gloss over them and I don't even want to preach this stuff. But I so want to hear on the other side, good job, well done. And I know the pathway to do that is the path of obedience. It's the path of submission. It's the path in which I take up my cross and I say to Jesus, you are my king. And where you lead, I will follow. God, I pray that Generations Community Church will be a community of faith that is known for following Jesus. I ask that you would help us to hear and recognize your voice when you prompt, when you lead, when you nudge. And when you do that, that we would have the ability to say, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so, God, I pray in this, in this time as we sing that for some of us, we would make that decision, that before we walk out these doors, we would at some level say to you, you know what? Today, in this moment, I make you my king. I may not have it all figured out, but I'm going I'm to follow you. Where you lead, I will follow. And I pray this would be true of many of us today. In Jesus' name.